You are listening to the Mercy View podcast. Mercy View exists to be a gospel-centered family of missional disciples to the glory of God and for the city's good. For more information about Mercy View, please visit our website at mercyview.com. Now, let's taste and see that the Lord is good. Let's read God's word. Please stand with me. We'll be in Philippians chapter 3. We'll go 3 to 10. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and the glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted it as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, in order that I might gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good evening. Good to see you. Welcome to Mercy View. My name is Brad. I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, happy Easter. Great to have you with us this evening. You've already practiced this a little bit uh, with Ryan, but uh, we're going to do it again here real quick. Uh, as you know, uh, or may not know actually, uh, for many, many years, the church on Easter Sunday has proclaimed something together called the Paschal Greeting, uh, or some have called it the Easter Acclamation. And what we just need to wrap our heads around here, I know it's, it's like 5.30 on a Sunday night, but uh, millions of Christians around the world have celebrated and are celebrating Resurrection Sunday. That the crucified king rose from the dead over 2,000 years ago. That's why we've sung the songs that we've just sang. This, friends, is the apex, the high point of the church year. And we want to just, I want to do something with you together to celebrate that, this Easter acclamation. It's a greeting that, that celebrates the reality uh, of what this day is all about. And I want to do it with you. Here's how it works. I'm going to say, Christ is risen, and you're going to respond, he is risen indeed. Okay, you ready? Are you ready? Okay, here we go. Christ is risen. Got it? Okay, now that was good. That was a good first shot there, but let's do it one more time. This is Easter Sunday, friends. This is the high point of our faith, the high point of Christian history, of all of history. Let's, let's, let's declare this together with some gusto. Here we go. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. He is risen indeed. Amen. Friends, as we look uh, tonight together anew at the resurrection of Jesus, I want to invite you to see two things. First, the resurrection of Jesus is a fact to be believed. Just say that again. The, the resurrection of Jesus is a fact to be believed. And secondly, the resurrection of Jesus is a power 
to experience. The resurrection of Jesus is a power to experience. So first, the resurrection of Jesus is a fact to be believed. I'm not going to spend a ton of time on this tonight, but, but let's just talk really quickly about the evidence. I don't know where you're coming tonight, whether you're coming from a place of have having been a believer many, many years, and maybe what I'm getting ready to talk about, you're good on, like it's settled for you. Maybe you're here tonight and, and you are a believer, but maybe you've been away from the church or you've, you've been away from, uh, you know, organized sort of religion and, and, and uh, you, you maybe at one time believed this stuff about Jesus, but maybe uh, it's just been a long time and, and you need some refresher tonight. Maybe that's where you're at. Maybe you're here tonight and you would say, Brad, I, uh, I don't believe. I, I'm, a, I'm a skeptic. I, I really am here to just sort of make my, my parents happy or my friends, whoever brought me here, um, happy and, and I'm really really not that, that interested. Let, let me just share with all of those groups, all of us really, the evidence that's before us. Uh, not everyone believes that Jesus rose from the dead, but just about every scholar agrees that a man named Jesus really lived, that he was executed by Romans and was buried. Almost all scholars believe that, even skeptic and you know, agnostic scholars. The question up for debate then really as we come to Resurrection Sunday is, did Jesus really then rise from the dead? Or maybe I could say it this way, how did the tomb get empty? Because friends, the tomb where Jesus was laid is empty. There are really only three options to that question. Option one, someone stole the body and from this, the idea grew that Jesus had been resurrected. So who stole the body? We really have three possible suspects. The first suspect would be the Romans, the ones that killed Jesus. Pilate had put a garrison of of soldiers, you remember this maybe in the story, but put a garrison of, of soldiers in front of the tomb. A garrison was a unit of 16 soldiers that stood guard around the clock. So they could have done it, the Romans could have done it, but what would have been their motive? They were the ones who had killed Jesus in the first place. They would have wanted him to just stay there. The second suspects would have been the Jews. The only motive that I can think of that would have made sense for them would have been that they somehow wanted to preempt the disciples from stealing the body. And then after the disciples claimed that Jesus was resurrected, they would produce the body to try to shame the disciples. Now the third suspects are the disciples. John 27 says, and the face cloth which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Why did John write that? What importance does that have to do with the potential of the disciples stealing Jesus's body? I'm not a robber. I hope none of you are, but uh, we should probably know that robberies aren't done in a hurry. If you're trying to steal something, if you're trying to rob a place, you're going to do it really quickly. Uh, You are not going to care how the place is left. If the disciples robbed the tomb with all the soldiers around them, somehow they moved this gargantuan stone, 
the linen friends would not have been folded. They would have not taken the time to do that. But the bigger question really is this, would robbing the tomb of just another human wannabe prophet really had caused them to be willing to die for that prophet? Because that's what ends up happening. After Jesus, Jesus uh, is raised from the dead and then it ascends into heaven, every single one of the disciples would be tortured and killed for their confession, except for one, but all the others would be martyrs. So option one really is off the table. So what's option two? Option two is this. Some say that Jesus never really died. In other words, on the cross, maybe Jesus didn't completely die. He, towards the end, passed out and When they put him in the tomb, somehow he revived himself. And then he moved this massive rock that blocked the tomb himself and snuck out in front of 16 soldiers, appeared to a few of his disciples, convinced a few of them that he was resurrected, and then disappeared. There are a number of problems with this option. First, the Romans were experts at the form of execution called crucifixion. So what Jesus went through, they would have known that he was dead before they came, got him off of the cross and put him in the tomb. Roman law said actually that if, if they pulled a man down before he died, the soldier that pulled him down themselves could be killed in the same manner. As for the idea that, that Jesus just sort of fainted on the cross and somehow revived himself, doesn't flesh with the historical data. Jesus had been beaten prior to his crucifixion to a pulp, which was actually very uncommon, actually. Usually beating itself was its own punishment. It often ended in death because the victim could not handle the extreme loss of blood. The point is that if anyone were to survive a crucifixion, it wouldn't have been Jesus because he was whipped brutally and he lost a a lot of blood before he was even hung on the cross. And if Jesus had somehow survived, how did he move that stone and slip past the Roman guards unknown? And then in his battered and weakened condition, go and convince his disciples that he was the resurrection and the life. And those same disciples give their lives for this guy. Friends, theory two falls flat as well. So the third option is what? Jesus really did rise from the dead. He resurrected. He appeared to his disciples and he commissioned them to go around the world testifying to to this, even if it cost them their lives. And we've said this already, they did it. And they did it gladly. And they, all but one of them lost their lives because they had seen the resurrected Jesus with their own eyes. If you go to 1 Corinthians 15, which by the way was written about 20 years after the resurrection, Paul says, anybody who wants to examine the evidence can do it. He said, there are 500 people that saw Jesus after he was resurrected and most of them are still alive. Go talk to them. They will tell you he's alive. And you guys know this, I can't even get in my own family us to agree on one thing. For that many people, for Paul to have the confidence that you can go to any one of those people and ask them whether Jesus was risen, they would all say yes. That's not 
a hallucination, friends. That's reality. Paul says, go and ask him. They're living in Palestine. They witnessed it. They saw it. Paul says, this is public fact. And look, I, I get it. You know, we're talking about something that's almost hard to believe, too hard to believe. This is a supernatural miracle of the highest order. It is the highest order. This is the miracle of miracles, but that doesn't mean it didn't happen. The fact that it did happen, I think, is what is really challenging to us. It confronts us. Do we believe that it was true, that it was a true event grounded in history, or are we content to believe that it was just fiction? This is the question for us tonight. And, and really it begins to get at what I want us to talk about. The first thing that I want to invite you to see tonight, and it is this. It's what Easter Sunday is meant to lead us to, no matter where we're coming in tonight. And it's this, the resurrection of Jesus is a fact of history that confronts us. It is a fact of history that, that causes us, that moves us to a place to ask this question, do I believe it? Because friends, if you do, if you believe, it means something. It means something can happen to you. It means that you can receive something. That's what I wanna talk about next. Second, the resurrection of Jesus is a power to experience. Now, it's possible for you to look at me tonight and say, Brad, look, I believe Jesus was raised on the third day. You don't have to convince me of that. I believe it was a historic event. I'm good with the truth of that. And I'm, I would say to you, good, because that's the truth of the resurrection. That's the, the content, historically, of the resurrection. It is an essential to believe that as a Christian. But friends, Paul is talking about something here in Philippians 3 that I think shows us that there is more to the resurrection than just believing that it happened. Maybe I could say it this way. There is something that, that God wants to do through the resurrection in your life that goes beyond you just like assenting to it intellectually. Philippians 3 shows us Something amazing. In fact, if you look there at Philippians 3, what you heard Ryan just read a while ago, in verses 4 through 6, you're going to see what uh, theologians have called the resume of Paul. Right? You heard it read earlier. You heard Ryan say all of these things that Paul said. Essentially, Paul says, like, if you think that you've got it all figured out, I'm, I'm better than you. <laughs> He's like, if, if you think that you're you are smart, if you think you know, you've got it together, he's like, I'm greater. He lays this out, he's saying if, if there was ever anyone who could put their confidence in themselves, in their success, in their importance, in their significance, it was him. Paul's saying it's me. Paul was saying this, if, if you could be saved by your works, I've done it perfectly. I've done everything that could have been done. I'm blameless. I'm righteous. Look with me, if you would, at verse 7. Verse 7, Paul says this. Let me just read this again so we can let this sort of fall on us. Listen to what he says. But whatever gain I had, 
All right, so all the stuff he just said, all of the stuff that I have, I count it as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as what? Rubbish. In order that I may gain Christ. Do you see what Paul is saying here? He is saying that all of these accomplishments, all of these achievements, all of these triumphs in his life are garbage compared to something else. They are eclipsed by something else. By what? Look there. The surpassing worth of knowing Jesus. Paul is saying none of these things that give me or gave me meaning, give me meaning anymore. The things that used to have ultimate meaning to me have been exchanged for something that's more ultimate. Jesus is now more ultimate. He is my passion. He is my number one ambition. Then Paul goes further to say this, look there in verse 10. He says, yes, I wanna know Jesus but I also want to know the power of his resurrection. Those are two different things, actually. You can know the power of the resurrection, but I think Paul is actually saying a couple of things here. He's saying, friends, it's one thing to know Christ. It's one thing to know about Christ, to know of Christ, but it's another thing altogether to experience Christ. Think of it this way, if you're trying to change out a two-prong electrical outlet at your house to a three-prong outlet, you gotta read up on that, right, to make sure you're doing it correctly or you're gonna get shocked. It may be really shocked, right? You might watch some, some YouTube videos to sort of get short up on how to do it, get the step-by-step, and whether you're reading about it or, or watching these videos, you're gonna hear the warnings about you better get the right colored wires connected to the right terminals. And you can learn from people who are professionals online on how to do it right. And you can step into that moment and think, I've got this. And then you start to change the electrical outlets and you literally get your wires crossed and on the wrong terminals and, and what happens? You get a jolt of electricity through your body. Right, You feel the power of the electricity. Before this, you just knew about it. You were just learning about it. You knew of it, but in that moment, you experienced the power. In the same way, Paul is saying that he knew it wasn't enough to simply believe a set of propositions about Jesus. I want you to hear me tonight. If you're here tonight and your understanding of what it means to be a Christian is just to believe a set of propositions about Jesus, friends, that's not enough. Paul is saying it's not enough to just simply believe that. He knew that to be a Christian involves something else. It's, it's as he was saying this, I, he's speaking for himself, I must have an ongoing experience of, of Jesus in my life. And he's using this term 
the power of the resurrection to describe that. He's saying one of the ways that you can talk about an ongoing experience of the gospel in your life is to say, I want to experience the power of the resurrection in my life. Paul knew that he needed the electricity, so to speak, of the gospel flowing through him in an ongoing way. This is the question, friends, for all of us this evening. Have you experienced the power of the resurrection of Jesus in your life? Do you just believe a set of propositions about Jesus or have you believed in and experienced the power of the gospel in your life? How would you know? Well, let's define what it means. What is the power of the resurrection? Well, I think it's the difference between knowing Christ and knowing the power of his resurrection in this way. It's the difference between knowing a person and resembling a person. Friends, when we know Jesus, that means we're dealing with him personally. Listen, the power of his resurrection is the very life energy that took his dead body and raised it up on that first Easter Sunday. The same power that came into Jesus' body on that first resurrection Sunday and raised him up can come into your heart and raise you up. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead can raise you. That, friends, is knowing the power of the resurrection. And then it can flow through you. And by the way, what happens when the power of the resurrection flows through you, it begins to change you. Some of you here tonight are really frustrated at the lack of change that you see in your walk with the Lord. One of the things that maybe might help you as we talk about this tonight is, is just to wrestle with, have I, just answer this question, have I experienced the power of the resurrection in my own life? Is the sanctifying power of Jesus flowing through me like electricity, so to speak, and changing me? So, Again, the question for us all, whether we are peeking over the fence into Christianity or we've been a Christian for many, many years, have you, are you experiencing that power? How would you know? Well, let's answer it this way. Look at the things in your life that you just can't seem to change. Just think about that. What are the things in your life that you're so frustrated about that you wish could just be different, could look different. Maybe it's a sin that ensnares you. Maybe it's a habit of some kind that you're just really frustrated that you can't get out of, out of doing. Do you know what the Bible says uh, our sin leads to? The Bible says that our sin leads to death. So we could ask it this way, and, and this is a very pointed question, or, or, or statement, I should say. Look at the deadness in your life. Sin leads to death. What is it that you want to change? If you could name that as sin, look at the deadness in your life. Look at the things that are leading to death. Look at your anger and your bitterness. How does anger and bitterness get transformed into forgiveness? Look at your insecurity how is that going to be turned into confidence? Look at the 
selfishness or self-centeredness in your life? How is that going to be turned into compassion and generosity? Look at the judgment that you have of other people that are different than you. How is that going to be turned into love and empathy? Look at your self-righteousness. How is that going to be transformed into humility? Look at your fear. How is that going to be changed into trust and hope? Friends, the dead stuff has to be taken over by the Spirit of God for that to happen. You have to believe in an ongoing way, moment by moment, day by day, that Jesus died and rose for you. You have to make him your ambition. You have to make him your hope because if you do, the good news of the gospel is that the same God that raised Jesus from the dead can live in you and raise your deadness to life. You can exchange all of these things, these negative things, these sinful things for good things, for things that honor the Lord, that bring glory to him. The power of the resurrection then becomes a source for ongoing change. Many of you here tonight have believed that Jesus has died for you. You believe the historical facts. But if you were to be really honest, your real agenda is personal success. However you would define that. And when I say success, I don't mean money necessarily or a better job. I'm just talking about in your own life, in your own sphere, what you define as success, what you define as flourishing and, and thriving. Paul says a Christian is somebody who looks at the resurrection and go, that's my success. That's where I want to get my significance. That's where I want to get my importance. It's when you go to Jesus and he turns all of that around so that your personal success, your personal satisfaction, your personal significance is now knowing him and knowing the power of his resurrection. Is that your definition of success? Is that your definition of significance? Is that your definition of success? See, the minute that you decide to receive him as your Savior and Lord in that way, the power of the Spirit rushes into your life. Theologians call it, we talked about this in the previous series we were just in, regeneration. It's a big theological word that just means he changes you in a moment. And in this gospel power, this gospel energy, this gospel electricity comes into you and begins to flow through you. Friends, what that is called is the power of the resurrection. The same thing that raised Jesus from the dead is now living in you. Do you believe that? I once heard a story about a man who died several centuries ago. He didn't believe in Jesus. He was actually against Christianity, very vocal against Christianity. When he died... He told the people that were going to bury him, he said, put this massive slab over my grave so that in the case that maybe this Christianity thing is true and the dead will be raised, I can stay under this massive slab. 
And on the grave, he said, I want you to write this. I don't want to be raised from the dead. I don't believe in it. Something interesting happened when this man was buried at the time. There must have been an acorn that fell into the grave. Because now, many, many years later, some 400 years later, that acorn has turned into a tree which grew up through the grave. It split the slab, and now that gravesite has a tall oak tree towering over that slab. What does that have to do with the power of the resurrection of Jesus? Friends, if an acorn, which has the power of just simply biological life in it, can split a slab of that magnitude, a slab that was designed to keep a man from having to be a part of the resurrection, what do you think the supernatural acorn of God's resurrection power can do in you? Think of the life in that. In that power can come life into you. He can move the things in your life that you think are immovable, those slabs, your anger, your bitterness, your insecurity, your selfishness, your judgment, all of that, those things can be split and rolled off. It doesn't mean that you won't ever struggle with those things again, but you can begin to find more and more victory and freedom from those things through the power of the resurrection. Let me close with this. Do you know that Jesus... If you're here tonight, and this is the first time that you've heard about the good news of the gospel, I want to invite you to receive Jesus as your Savior and Lord. What that means is, not only are you saying, I want you to save me from my sin, but I want you to be my boss, my Lord. I want to follow you. If that's you here tonight, I I want to plead with you before you leave here tonight to believe in the truth of this resurrection. It can come into your life and it can change you, friend. If you're here tonight and and you're struggling with this, I just want to say again what we said a while ago. Jesus really did raise from the dead. It is history. It's grounded in history. It's fact. Believe. Believe in the truth of the resurrection. And if that's you here tonight, I'm going to be standing up here in front uh, another one of our pastors will be up here as well. We would be honored to talk with you about what it means to place your faith and trust in this Jesus who died for you and rose again for you. Many of us here tonight know Jesus or claim to know Jesus. So let me ask you a question. How do you know if you've experienced the power of the resurrection? The answer is, You can look at your life and you can see moment after moment where something has happened in your life that's so undeniable that you can hardly describe it. Can can you do that? Can you look at the ways in your life and see the ways in which the power of the resurrection has borne fruit in your life? That's one of the ways that you can know that you've experienced it. Maybe big spiritual moments in your life, but even the smaller spiritual moments. I know in my life, when I think about those times, when I try to talk about it, I I actually have a really hard time putting it into words. It's so profound. 
Sometimes it, it almost makes me blush to use the words that, that come out of my mouth. Or uh, sometimes it makes me want to cry. Friend, if this hasn't happened to you, then tonight is the night for you, if you're a believer, to say, I want to experience your resurrection, the power of your resurrection in my life tonight. Myself and Pastor John, we would love to pray with you up front here after we are done to just ask the Lord to begin to move in your life for you to experience that power. Our prayer tonight on Easter Sunday is that we can all with confidence, with hope, Say, I know Jesus, and I know the power of his resurrection. Friends, the good news of the gospel is that it's there for the taking. Will you take it? Let's pray together.